Good morning, those in the room, those online. I hope y'all enjoyed that picture of me. Huh? I had long hair like that through college. That was in my sophomore year, I think, or junior year. I, I was my 20th birthday, and I used to play the guitar. I used to be in this band, but I kicked myself out. <laughs> Anyhow, um, yeah, my hair was long, and I had salt water in my hair and salt and, and sand between my toes constantly. Didn't get out of the water until I was about 30 years old. Anyhow, we digress. I have some stats for you. You ready? How many Jesus followers do you think were on the planet by the end of the first century in 100 A.D. or as they say today, 100 C.E. Christian era? How many? You don't know, and you can Google it. 7,500. I don't know how people count, but they, that's just to take a decent scholarly shot at it. Let's go forward another 100 years. How many Jesus followers do you think were on the planet in 200 A.D.? The scholars who study this stuff think somewhere in the neighborhood of 200,000. Okay, let's bump it again another 100 years or so. Early 4th century, 300 or so. How many Christians do you think there were? How many Jesus followers? The answer wants to be somewhere around 7 million. Today, on the planet. Any guesses? 2.6 billion. That's about one-third of the earth, about one-third of the 7.8 or so billion human beings that live on the planet. 2.6 billion report themselves as being members of a Christian family. 2.6 billion. And the question is, how did that happen? What happened? It's really pretty simple. People told their friends. They said, hey, guess what? And they talked about their lives in regular, ordinary, relational ways. They raised their families in the faith and talked as best they knew how to talk about what it meant to be people who are, belong to the family of Jesus. And this one-third of the planet, which is, uh, calls themselves members of Christian churches, followers of Jesus, that is growing. It's not shrinking. It's growing, particularly in the southern hemisphere. That's a whole other set of ideas that would be fun to talk about. I just want you to get the basic idea that the movement started at the resurrection of Jesus and those earliest followers and has blown up. And the fundamental operating system inside of that is people talking about their experience with each other. And that's how they've done it. In every aspect of their life, are they in homes, in jobs, in schools, with your friends in your social life, where you hang out, all that neighborhoods, that's how it happens. People simply talking about their experience. So that introduces today's topic. What does it mean to be chosen? It means this. We are witnesses. As soon as I say the word witness... People bow up because you, have, you in your mind may have a caricature of what that means. And that may represent for you someone who doesn't know you assaulting you with words. And perhaps also assaulting you with some sense of judgment or condemnation. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about that kind of experience. I'm talking about people who've experienced Jesus relationally. And their lives are changing and they just can't not love other people the way they've been loved. And sooner or later, language becomes a part of that. People who, are being, who have experienced the transformational love of Jesus, 
begin to want other people to know the transformational love of Jesus. It's what you want in your homes. Just think about what you want for your family. It's the same thing. Now, here's, here's what witness means to me. It means I'm excited about my experience, and I can't wait to tell you about it. Example, my grandchildren. I'm excited about my grandchildren, and if you're around me very long, I'm going to start making you listen to me about them, and I'm going to whip pictures out. I am just like every other proud grandfather. So that's just one experience. How can I not talk about my grandchildren? Huh? That's not even reasonable. I got another one for you. I'm going on vacation this afternoon to Israel, and when I get back, I guarantee you I'm going to pester you with my stories about what I experienced in Israel. So we're going. Several of us are going. A bunch of us, 39 of us are going. Tony's going. So we're going to Israel, and I'm going to drive you nuts about that. Here's another one that I can't help myself talking about. When I go to a great restaurant, and when you go to a great restaurant, you want people to know about it. I got one for you. You ready? Roca. You been to Roca? Huh? Yeah. Have you had the, what do you call that thing, that app? The mozzarella thing they do right in front of you? Woo. Okay, so I'm excited about Roca, and I have to save my money so I can go back. Fourth one that comes up immediate for me is this is nowhere near the other three. Netflix. What are you excited about on Netflix? Right now, Kathy and I are sucked into one called Lincoln Lawyer. He's pretty clever. It's kind of fun. So anyway, the point is I can't not talk about that stuff. And I want you to understand that you've been chosen. You've been loved. You've been rescued, healed, redeemed, restored, put back together again. And the people you love need to know your story. And I want you, if you're, if you're not at a place where you can't not talk about it, and again, I'm not talking about assaulting strangers with judgment. I'm just sharing my story. Just who am I as a person? When I get to know somebody, I want them to know a little bit about me. And a friendship includes that. So I want you to want it. And you don't have to be a weirdo. You just be relational. Just care about people. And again, start in your family. Anyway, that's what, that's what we're looking at today. We're looking at what it means to be people who can't not talk about our experience. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to watch the bumper video again. But before we click it, I want you to watch. There are fish swimming in a circle. And then one of them changes color from grayscale to some turquoise-looking color. And then another fish changes color and starts turning and following. You know what's happening? The first fish is telling his pals, hey, guess what I found out? And it's a beautiful representation of living life in that direction. You see them? Living life in that direction and hearing and experiencing Jesus and witnessing in the sense of sharing this new thing with the people I care about who are nearby. The other fish, and it went from 7,500 to 2.6 billion. These artists that did this, this is not an accident. So let's watch the bumper video again. Watch the movement grow. Pretty cool. I love that. 
I just think it's a fantastic way artistically. Uh-oh. I'd do it again. It's got a little kick to it too, doesn't it? What we want to do is visit again. We're in episode five of season one. And just a couple of things you need to know about what you're going to see. You're going to see the person you know as the Apostle Peter. In the sacred imagination of Dallas Jenkins and the others who put this together, they're, just, they're experimenting with ideas of relationships in order to help us get to the point. What's going to happen is the apostle, the, he, Peter, who is exhausted and exasperated and frustrated because he seems to be behind financially. It's a little tension in his marriage. And Peter is cheating the system a little bit by fishing when he's not supposed to. That's fishing on the Sabbath. And he knows that he shouldn't be doing it, but he does it anyway. And he's, here's what's happened to Peter, though, in a previous episode. He met Jesus. And he met Jesus, and he experienced him relationally. But he also experienced him watching Jesus do miraculous things like throw out the net and catch a big pile of fish after all night long fishing and catching nothing. He's experienced Jesus. And Jesus has said to him two simple words, follow me. And Peter is coming back to talk to his wife. Again, they've, they've created a name for her. There's no, no Bible t passage that says Peter. It says he's married, but it doesn't say his wife. His wife's name is Eden, E-D-E-N. So here you have Peter exasperated, but something's happened to him experienced Jesus coming back to talk to his wife. Nothing that makes sense. Last night you told me the truth. Let's continue with that. So, I worked for hours last night and I couldn't even catch one fish the entire night. And then Andrew and the boys showed up. Thank you for that, by the way. And none of us could catch one fish the entire night. It was horrible. And this morning, we finally gave up, and we went to shore. But there was this teacher on shore. And Andrew knew who he was, but I'll talk about that later. He told me to cast one more time, which made no sense, but I did it anyway because of the way he, he looked at me. And then... So many fish showed up. They were pouring into the boat. So many kept coming that, that Zebedee ended up filling both of our boats, enough to pay off the whole debt. I... Uh, what? I know. 
Why don't you seem happy? Well, this is hard to explain. More than what you just told me. No, it's like the story of Elijah and Alicia. Yes? Elisha was plying with 12 yoke of oxen when Elijah the prophet just walked up and threw his cloak over him. I, a calling to follow him. And without delay, Elisha slaughtered the oxen, burned the plow, and left everything behind. Yes. The, the teacher, uh, Andrew told me, but I didn't believe him at first. He's the Messiah. I know it sounds impossible, but I, I saw it with my own eyes. He made boatfuls of fish appear out of nowhere. And the words he spoke, the one John told Andrew was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, it was him. And then, and then he called me to follow him. And Andrew, James, and John to go where he goes and, and to learn from him. And he said that I wouldn't be a fisherman anymore, but that I would catch people instead. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but I'm sure what I saw. He's the one we've been waiting for all our lives. And I want to quit fishing and leave the sea behind to go. I know, I know, I know it makes no sense, and I knew it would make you upset. All I can tell you is that this I'm not is. Upset. sometimes I don't want you to feel abandoned you have to go with him how could I feel abandoned I feel saved yeah. Yeah, it's not gonna be easy when have we ever had anything easy <laughs> it's not our people's way <laughs> You may have noticed that she's treading grapes in the opening scene, and we did this Thursday morning in the world's greatest life group, the one that meets with me for men on Thursday mornings at 7 o'clock at Wright's Gourmet, but I wouldn't want to sell. And we, the first thing that happened when we turned the clip off is the, the person in the room who knows grapes and wine really well, Carl Walker, he looks at that and says, those are Thompson seedless. In other words, nobody in the whole world has ever made any wine out of those Thompson seedless that you... So what happens? This thing is being filmed in Texas, and they didn't have enough grapes, so they ran back to Publix and brought back some red Thompson seedless. <laughs> anyway, uh, I'm moved every time. I've watched this six or seven times in the last three weeks, and I'm moved every time. Just a few things and some nuggets of this conversation that I have for you. And I want you to hear the conversation between Peter and his wife because in it is a perfect picture of what it means to be a Jesus follower or using another term that the New Testament uses, a disciple. A disciple means simply a person when Jesus said, follow me, 
A disciple is a person that says, okay, I'm going. That's what a disciple is. It's nothing more, but it's nothing less. I'm following Jesus. He said he's the Messiah. I saw it with my own eyes. And he was referencing this miraculous He was referencing this miraculous catch of fish that Jesus had orchestrated. Did you hear him almost laughing, Peter said. He told me I'm not going to be a fisherman anymore. What am I going to do? Catch people. We're going to catch people. And this brightness came up over his face. It's what's going on in the bumper video. Fish excited because now they get to catch people, other fish. He said, he said, I get to catch people. And then he said this, I don't even know what that means. He's still sort of laughing with this new sense of joy. I don't really know what that means, yet I am sure of what I saw. He's certain about having experienced Jesus relationally. You hear him say he looked the way he looked into my eyes, the way he talked, and then what he did. He's experienced Jesus And Jesus said to him, follow me. And he has chosen to do that. And that means literally in the first century. You literally, the dirt that's getting flipped off the sandals of Jesus' shoes is landing on your head. Because you're walking with him. You're that close. He said that. Catch the sense of what it means to be a Jesus follower, a disciple. I'm not really sure what it means. But I'm sure of what I'm experiencing. Isn't that a perfect picture of how you and I should understand our lives of faith? We're as close as we can get, and we grow in understanding, but God is way bigger than you and I are ever going to know everything. We're not going to be able to control it, but here's what we can do. We can say, I'm sure of this, and we stay close. And that's what they did. So for three years, this group of people followed him literally, Walked around with him, listened to him, helped him, whatever. They stayed close to him for three years until his death and resurrection. That's what's going on. Notice how Eden responds. Did you catch that? Do you believe me? And she's in tears. She's filled with joy. It was a little hard to hear, but she said to him, you were made to be more than a fisherman. And then he's puzzled. Why did he choose me? Friends, why did he choose you? Why did he choose me? It's not because of me. It wasn't because of Peter. It's not because of Eden. It's because of him. It's because he loves us. He just loves us, and that's why he chooses us. He chooses us because he loves us. That's what happens to us. She says to him, Ooh, you have to go with him. The person that loved him and knew him says to him as family, you got to go with him. And that's what we're doing. That's what we do with each other. This is not an individual thing. We're not hermits. We do this as a family, and we encourage each other in whatever way we can relationally. We say, you got to go with him, and you help the people you know and care about figure out what that means for them. And guess what? At the same time, they're helping you figure it out. We're, we're a bunch of fish swimming, and the next thing you know, some of us start turning and going back the other way. So the people in our lives who are also trying to figure out to, how to follow Jesus, we're helping them. They're helping us. That's what's going on. That's what's happening here. So I have a way, I think, to help us understand what it means to be a Jesus follower, which is jumping into a Bible passage and just taking a quick look at it. I hope this is helpful for you. It is very, very helpful for me. 
over and over and over and over again, Jesus invites people to follow him. This is early in the life of these fishermen who Jesus meets, and he says this to them. Follow me, and you could put a comma there, and it's an imperative. He's telling them to do it. Literally in Greek it says, come behind me, and I will make you into people who catch people. It literally says, follow me, and I will make you into fishermen of people. Okay, but I'm I'm just messing with the translation a little bit to get the point over. Follow me and I will make you into people who catch people. So there are three parts of that. And here's you and I get to choose. So here's the way that works. The The first thing we get to do is this. Jesus is saying, follow me. And you have to choose and I have to choose. Will I choose to say yes? Okay, I'm going to follow you. So the definition of what it means to be a Jesus follower is packed into this little verse. The first thing it means to be a Jesus follower is I'm choosing to say yes to you. You've said it, follow me. And whether you've heard him before or not, he's issuing that invitation over and over and over again since he lived on the, the earth. Follow me. And we have the choice. Choose. It's our turn. Choose. And so we choose to follow him. And then I will make you into is the second part of the verse. And this is surrendering to Jesus' transformational work in our lives. And around here, we talk about that. We say real relationships, real transformation. And what we're pointing out is the reality is fundamentally relational. God is fundamentally relational. God is love. And when we engage with each other and when we're working together to follow Jesus, the next thing, he takes up residence inside us and makes us into new people. That's what Jesus is doing, making us into the person, like Eden said to Peter, you were meant to be more than a fisherman. And she is right. So we're surrendering. We're saying, okay, we we choose to cooperate when God says, I'm going to go to work on you. He loves us. He wants to put us into the place of being more and more like the women and men that he made us to be. And the third thing is really important. We're also choosing as we get transformed to go on Jesus' mission with him. And the mission is to catch people. And we do it where we live, where we work, where we play, where we recreate. That's where we do it. You don't have to do anything new. You don't have to be weird. You just have intentional relationships with people where you're loving them on purpose and you're hoping if they're far from God that your friendship will be a part of how they decide to turn. You don't do that. That's their part. Remember, you have to choose. You can't choose for somebody else. You do your part. They'll do their part. But guess who does the heavy lifting? The big part. God does it. So that's what it means to be a Jesus follower, all of that kind of stuff. Here's a great question. How does it work out for Peter? Huh? Watch this. Mr. Jesus, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. He's speaking to Jesus. This is not yet. This is before his death and resurrection. This is somewhere in the middle of Jesus' ministry. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the word church here means big family, all those fish swimming around. He doesn't mean a building. Buildings are a part of the church, but the church is bigger than the building. The church is the people who are in the building, right? I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, or you could translate that hell, the gates of hell will not overcome it. You with me? That's what happens to Peter. Peter, this dude who's lost, he chooses to follow Jesus. He starts following him. There's this transformational work that takes place in him, and he eagerly goes on Jesus' mission with him. A little wordplay in there in Greek for you. You ready? 
see the first word up top, that little comma thing is really an accent mark that would go over the epsilon. That, that, that E is really not an E, it's an epsilon. See it? Oh, it's, I'm looking back here. Here we go. Uppercase P, lowercase epsilon, tau rho, omega sigma. Petros, that's his name. His name in Hebrew or Aramaic is Shimon or Simon, but his Greek version of it is Peter. You with me? That's what's in the text that I just read. See the little word below it? Petra, you know what that word means? Rock. Huh? You catch what just happened? Jesus uses a word play, a pun, on Peter's name Petrus and turns him into Petra, the rock on which he's going to build the church. That's how it worked out for Peter. Peter lived a life of faithful following of Jesus, a faithful disciple. And legend has it, many of them were martyred in the first century, that he was martyred and he wanted to crucify him. And he said, you can't do it the way Jesus died. Turn me upside down. It, we can't show that with the historical evidence the way we do normal history, but it's enough. there's enough legend about it that makes it maybe, it maybe it happened, maybe not. But he died a death of martyrdom. He never, ever, ever quit catching people. That's how it worked for Peter. So it's now your move. It's my move. And I'm going to ask you to pull out the card that's there on this, the chair with you. This is the second week we've used the cards, and we're doing it on purpose because here is a way for you to identify with Peter. I was, but God, and now. I was, and then I chose, and God began to transform me, and now I'm a new person, and I've joined the mission. If I could, just a quick story about me, about my card. So I wrote down on the card, I was hurting and didn't know it. So I, when I'm 18 years old, about two years before that picture that was taken, I was told, somebody said, follow me on behalf of Jesus. It was a Young Life camp. And the Young Life leader said, follow me. And I said, okay. And my life began to change. But I was hurting and didn't know it. And I, here's an illustration of it. Back before I consciously became a Jesus follower, I was in the ninth grade. My mom and dad were divorced. My dad's an alcoholic. And I was hurt. And I'm a person that is aware of my feelings, but I, I blocked all of those feelings. And here's a, just a quick illustration. It's at the beginning of my ninth grade year of high school. And I'm in a classroom with a bunch of people I know and a bunch of people I don't. A teacher I didn't know. Teacher's going around the room. He says my name. You remember I was Jimmy. Jimmy Connor, is your dad a barber? And I said, no, under my breath like that. Caught me off guard. And he said it a little bit louder. And I said, no, a little bit louder. And he said it one more time, even louder. And I said, no, a little bit louder. And about then, I was in tears. And about then, my buddy said to him, no, his mom and dad are divorced. So the divorce is, was so painful, and I didn't even know it. So here I am, this skinny little ninth, ninth grade kid, 15 years old, and hurting inside. Well, and God, healing. And now, I'm telling you about it. I'm not scared of all of that anymore. I was petrified of what was going on inside of me. Part of my story is a person who's, who, who had to grow through the ordinary meat and taters kind of hurt that happens with alcoholism and divorce. 
happy to talk with you about it. It's a, it's a doorway into other people's lives. But there I was, an innocent little ninth grade kid in, in tears. And I was embarrassed about the tears too. You need to do this work because I want you to want to be so excited about what's happening and what has happened in you that like Peter, you say, he told me that we get to go catch people. I don't even know what that means, but I'm sure of what I experienced. This will help you get clear and this will help you get sure and this will help you begin to see a way to intentionalize some relationships where you can be a person that joins the family business. We're a family. And you know what the family business is? Catching people. Let me pray for us. We thank you, gracious God, that you heal us. We've been hurt. We got lost. We're clueless. We're exasperated. We're okay. All of the above, no matter who we are, we need to choose to follow you. And then the next thing you know, you go to work on us because we're going to surrender to your presence. And once that happens, we're going to choose to go on the mission that you want us to go on, which is to love other people really well. We want to be a part of this big family that's in the family business of loving people well, of catching people. We want people to know you. We start in our homes. We can do it in our jobs. We can do it in our neighborhoods and where we play and recreate and socialize. Let us be people who are so clear, we're sure of your love, that we love other people and we're doing it on purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.